thanks for singing with us. I love Christmas music because uh, it always seems to ring differently. There's pieces that are added. Like, I don't know if in Silent Night you heard the line that all oppression shall cease. In the current news cycle, that just kind of struck me as a little bit different, that uh, I like to perhaps live under my rock and believe that all oppression has ceased, that uh, there is none of that that still exists. And I was reminded as we worshiped and as we sung a song that we sing every single year, but that Christ's kingdom both came at Jesus' birth and it is a kingdom that is continually coming that he gives to us as his followers to bring about into existence. And it's our role as Christ followers to bring about God's already revealed kingdom. That's not part of the message that's free today. You don't got to tithe for that. But uh, continuing on, hey, so we're one week away from Christmas. I just want to have uh, a little bit of a conversation here to invite you in ways that you can participate. We're expecting uh, uh, a full house for Christmas Eve. Would love for you uh, to be a part of that. Would love for you to feel comfortable and safe inviting friends, family members, coworkers, guests. Because as we talk about around this season, people are already thinking about church. That's what Christmas Eve is entails, whether they're believers or non-believers, there's kind of this presupposed uh, place where they're going, yeah, we should probably at least explore that idea, right? We've talked about neighbors and friends who have Christmas lights up, and yet Christmas Eve services aren't a part uh, of that. And, and so a couple of ways, actions that we can all maybe own as we walk into the Christmas. The first thing is this, uh, we're planning on two services, because last year we filled up one service, which means that we're going to set out all the chairs that we can, we want to have as much information as that as possible. We would hate to have to turn anyone away, um, and yet when I look at all of our signups, those little boxes we've been talking about for the past four weeks, 47 people have signed up. Yeah, that's funny, because there's way more than 47 of you around here, and I know that there's more than 47 people showing up. So today is the last Sunday, and you may not know exactly what's going on, but if you just pick a time, I don't even care if you maybe show up for that time, I just want to make sure uh, that we're not going to have a real intimate circle for Christmas Eve, right? We might have that, and that'd be great. Uh, but if you're going out of town, maybe any of those kinds of things, just let us know that. We'd love to be in communication, praying for you as you travel, but also to make sure that we have enough childcare workers and enough seats set out and enough candles, heaven for Bid, you don't get a candle on Christmas Eve candlelight service, right? Uh, so if you just help us out with that, well, there's also a blank there for inviting anybody. That's maybe step two there would be to, hey, invite somebody to come to church with you. And invite is kind of a cop-out, right? Like, I can invite all of you. I just invited 100 people to church. What do you know? Uh, but actually bring someone with you. Take the time to go, hey, I want to meet you in the lobby. Can we carpool? We made uh, some cards. You're going to get these on the way out. It's got our series banner, Awful Christmas, which if you can't start a conversation around that, then uh, I don't, we're doing something wrong. And uh, backside there, service times, directions, all those kinds of things. So take one and use it, right? Don't take one if you aren't going to give it to anybody. Uh, but we've got got three as a family that we're praying over, our neighbors, our friends, friends of our kids that we're just going, hey, it's our goal not only to invite them to Christmas Eve, but we want to make time and space and opportunity that we say, hey, I'm saving a seat for you. Would you join me for Christmas Eve? We see that you've got the Christmas lights, and we just want to make sure that you get the opportunity to hear the Christmas story. So you'll get one of those on the way out. I would encourage you to take advantage uh, of that and uh, use it as a conversation piece. So number one, sign up. Number two, invite somebody. 
And last but certainly not least, I already talked about number three, we could use some help. Uh, we need four nursery volunteers to be able to pull off nursery for two services, uh, and we need about eight still, I think, people to help with ushering and greeting. And so uh, if you're a guest with us, you can plug your ears for this because this is just kind of a church family conversation. But guys, everybody looks at the church at Christmas. And if we can't provide our guests and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors a great experience, if we can't provide their kids a safe place, if they can't be greeted as they walk into the door, and if we can't have the people to receive our offering, which is going overseas to as one, then that really causes me to pause and reevaluate what we're about and what's important to us as a church family. So you guys know that I don't do guilting and shaming when it comes to serving and being involved, and that's not my intention here, but I really do just want to lay that out there and say, hey, we need help to pull this off. Not because it matters whether or not people sign up or serve, but because it's important as guests and friends and neighbors come to experience this time of year with us. So if your schedule works out, I know we've got plans. I know people are traveling. Maybe you can attend one, serve one. Maybe you can't. Maybe you're going, man, we're traveling out of town. How can we help? Uh, Thursday night, I'm setting up chairs. So if, you got, if you're leaving out of town, but you got time Thursday night, 6 to 8 p.m., make a note in your bulletin. I'd love to have some help as we add all of our extra chairs out, straighten out our rows, and uh, get ready for Christmas Eve. So that's just kind of my checklist as it comes to getting ready and being prepared for Christmas Eve services in whatever way you can find yourself within that. I hope that you'll prayerfully consider uh, being a part of what God's doing here at the porch when it comes to Christmas Eve. Sound good? Your enthusiasm is palpable. There we go. Thank you. Hey, week three, we're on awful Christmas, right? We've been kind of taking this opportunity to look through Christmas through some different stories, right? Maybe some people who don't end up in the nativity. And we've also been looking at it through this lens of awe, right? And we've defined that as reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. When any one of those elements are missing, there's not really awe. There's not this moment of wow. And so we've looked at the story of the shepherds and that angelic appearance, and we looked at the awe that was wrapped up in that statement as they went to go see this thing that the angels told them about. And then last week, we took a left turn at Albuquerque, right? And we talked about Herod, who is Christmas was not full of awe for Herod. It was literally just awful, right? This was a representation of his power, and Herod was a pretty jealous dude. And so we got to talk about what does it look like uh, for Herod at Christmas and maybe draw a little bit too close to home in ways that we're similar to the way that Christ comes into our life and maybe vies for power, vies for influence uh, in our day-to-day living. And so today we're going to keep up with that theme. We're going to look at uh, a story of somebody who didn't make it into the nativity, right? They're not showing up uh, in those nice little wood cutouts that you have up on your mantle. And nonetheless, it's a part of the Christmas story And I think that we can glimpse a total view of awe as we look through this lens. So I just want to frame today with a simple question, uh, and it's going to kind of guide our conversation as we explore the text together. And that question is simply this, what do you do when it's not your awesome? What do you do when it's not your awesome? We all want things to be awesome. We all want to experience awe. We all like that when it's reflected on us. But what do we do when it's not Yours. There's an author, Gordon MacDonald, who uh, wrote a book called Restoring Your Spiritual Passion, and here's a quote that he shares. He says, I've discovered a brutal truth about myself. I've rarely delighted in another person's success. I felt like anyone else's success was a threat to my own. Too close to home, right? 
A little too, little too honest this morning. How many of us can say that we've been there? That we've had those moments, those opportunities where when other people, where a coworker, where a neighbor down the street, when they succeed, it feels like we're failing. And in the very moment that something good happens to them, we fail to rejoice with those who rejoice, which is biblical, and instead we find ourselves conspiring. We find ourselves making excuses, right? Well, she has connections, right? That's why that happened. Oh, he just got lucky. It's really not fair, right? The boss is always playing favorites, and the list goes on and on. Rarely, though, do we hear the conversation, you know what, that guy deserved it. You know what? She did a better job than I could have done. See, we're all about awesome so long as it's focused on us, so long as it's about me. But when it's somebody else's story altogether, it becomes a bit more challenging, right? Just me? Maybe just me. Here's another quote from that book. How did I discover this about myself? I noticed that few of my peers expressed their delight in the success I was enjoying. It was easy for me to see the competitive spirit in them, and it was dreadful to discover that I was the same sort of person. Merry Christmas, right? I'm just here spreading good news this morning. I'm here for you, right? What do we do when it's not your awesome, right? But we can all relate to this. How many of you guys remember Christmas Day when you were kids? Or maybe this will be your experience this Christmas Day. What do you do Christmas morning? You run downstairs, right? You check out the gifts. You figure out which one's yours. You see which one's the biggest because that's important and it better have your name on it, right? But how many of you remember Christmas afternoon? I don't know if this was your story, but growing up, right, Christmas afternoon was always the make or break it point because Christmas morning, it was isolated, right? So long as I beat my brother out, everything was good. But Christmas afternoon, I went out to go play. Right? I would go see all of my friends, and we would compare lists, right? We'd swap stories. What'd you get? Who got the hottest toy? And that afternoon would determine my entire view of Christmas, right? Has this ever happened to you guys? So if I had the best gifts, right, if I had the gift that everybody was after that year, if I was king of the mountain, Christmas was pretty good. But if somebody else, if that friend up the street got that gift, got the hottest toy, made out better than I did, all of a sudden Christmas was a waste, and I didn't want any of that junk. Anyway, right? Have you been there? How many of you are anticipating having that conversation with your children this year as they begin to compare notes, right? But the reality is that we're all for awesome so long as it's focused in on us. But when we have somebody else that has that awesome, it's a different story all together. And so today we're going to look at a story that kind of puts this right out in the middle. We're going to look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's an, uh, a Christmas story. It's kind of the prequel to Christmas. But again, they don't make the nativity. They don't make it in the star, the star center of the story. But literally what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story uh, of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. If you brought your Bible with you or you can pull it up on your smartphone, Luke chapter 1. If you'd like to use one of the Bibles here in the warehouse, I'd encourage you just to slip your hands up. Uh, we're going to be on page 482, I believe, 482. I got that right. Uh, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at this lens of awesome through the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. So you may remember that Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, that will come up a little bit later, and Mary, or excuse me, Elizabeth and Zechariah are the mother and father of John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin. Are we putting the story a little bit together? So let's look at some of the background here, and you'll hopefully see what we're talking about. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, and he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. 
Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. I want to set the scene here just a little bit, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth carefully describes them. It tells us some things that are important. Do we miss some of those things because of the cultural difference? So let me just spell some of them out for us this morning. The first thing that we notice is that they were both from priestly lines, right? Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth's dad was a priest. Today we may equate that with a pastor, although there's some very significant differences. See, for the priests back then, their job was to stand before God on behalf of the people. They would say prayers and they would intercede for those people. It was their job to kind of represent God and to manage the temple and sacrificial system. A second thing we see is that they were righteous in God's Eyes. Literally, the text here says that they were upright and blameless, right? They lived consciously this way. They set out not just to do the things that God said that they should do. They didn't just talk the talk, but they wanted to walk the walk. They modeled this life that God called them to live, right? As priests, we would think that that's important. The third thing that the text very makes it very, very clear is that they were OLD old, right? They were well advanced in years, which is a nice way of saying They were ancient, right? Which is very, very important, and here's why. Because of the last point, they had no children. Now, today, that might not be as big of a deal. We know lots of people without kids. We know lots of people who are unable to have children, and so that's just a part of life. But you have to remember that this was before kind of our scientific understanding of the whole process. And all they knew is that if you didn't have children, there must be something bad. There must be something Wrong. Surely God did not bless you for a reason. In other words, there must be hidden sin. There must be something underneath the surface. God must be upset with you. Do you see the dichotomy of this? That scripture calls them blameless and upright. They were righteous, well advanced in years. Their life had been proven. And yet there's this undercurrent. There's this talk of the town about going, well, they can't be all that good. After all, they don't have children. See, children in that society not only were a mark of God's favor, but they were also kind of your life insurance policy. Not all of the Jewish people believed in a resurrection after death, and so they hoped to live on through their children. This was the whole idea. There was no nursing homes, and so as you advanced in age, it was your hope, your prayer, your chance for life that your children would come and take care of you. That was how life worked. And so we see very, very clearly that this was not awesome for Elizabeth and Zechariah. This was kind of awful. Can you step into their shoes? Can you walk through this idea of being righteous and blameless and upright and all of the things that you do for God, and yet God has not seen to bless you in that way? They're both priests. He's a priest. She's a daughter of our priest. They lived godly lines, and everything about them was good, except for this one glaring area that everybody probably seemed to talk about. They probably wondered out loud, as you might be wondering out loud, why them? Why me? Why us? Why can't we be like everyone else? Maybe you find yourself in a bit of that disillusionment this Christmas season. You've experienced the disappointments in life. You thought you lived a good life, thought you did things the right way, and yet still there's things that don't meet your expectations. Still it feels like God's voice is silent. You have those unanswered prayers that nag All of us. What do you do when it's not your awesome? Let's keep reading Luke chapter 1, verse 8. 
One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying, right? Finally, something goes right. Let me underscore the significance of this for you, right? This is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This is uh, going into the big game. This is Super Bowl Sunday. Like, Zechariah was chosen by lot, which means it was a lottery, right? It's kind of like pick the longest straw. There's 18,000 priests, and you serve in kind of these small local groups, and one time somebody would be chosen to do this special priestly responsibility. It was highly favored, highly honored, and the reason why there were people outside praying is they were praying that the sin in your life didn't cause you to drop over dead in the presence of the Lord. This is a big deal. Finally, things maybe start turning from awful or normal to maybe being a little bit more awesome. This is the big show for Zechariah. Let's see what happens. Verse 11. Then Zechariah was in the sanctuary, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. This is one of those uh, bad translations, right? Literally, it means he was terrified. He was shaking in his boots. We talked about the fact that angels aren't these cute little babies with wings, right? They're imposing figures. That's why every time an angel shows up, they say, hey, don't be afraid, because people are afraid. Look, Zechariah is a righteous man. He's blameless. He should have nothing to fear in the presence of God, and yet here he is shaking in his boots. I think we can see that he was caught by surprise, right? He wasn't ready for what he encountered. Don't miss this. While he was carrying out his religious duties, he never envisioned actually hearing from God. While he was carrying out his religious priestly duties, the things that were his job, the things that were most important to his faith, he never actually envisioned that God would show up, right? Why would you? Day after day, things go along normally. By the way, how often do we find ourselves in that same pattern. We come to church Sunday after Sunday, we sing the songs, we listen to the message, we participate in this thing that we call church, but we don't maybe actually imagine that God's going to show up, right? We don't expect to hear a living word from the Lord, and yet nonetheless, this is the faith that we claim and that we represent. Zechariah puts us in normal situations going, hey, it's okay to be surprised by God, although we should probably count on it more than we do. But how would you respond if you were in Zechariah's shoes? How would you respond if the imposing angel of the Lord showed up today instead of my voice? You would be shaking in your boots. You would be surprised. How would you react? Let's see how Zechariah reacted. But the angel of the Lord said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. There's that greeting again. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. You want to talk about a litany. You want to talk about a life verse for somebody. This is fantastic. How does Zechariah respond? 
Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man, and my wife also is well along in years. Not the brightest shining moment for Zechariah, right? There's no kind of reception of this. You can see that he's shaking in his boots. But again, let me give you some perspective. This is not a young man who's praying for a child. This is a old man, well advanced in years. And I don't care how long you've been praying for a child. If you're 60 plus, 70 plus, and you hear good news that your wife is pregnant, it's not good news, right? Like... Like, I, we were praying for that a while ago, Lord, but we kind of, that ship sailed, right? Like, we're moving on. You've got to be thinking, I don't know that I'm going to make it to high school graduation. Like, this is, this is not what we were asking for, Lord. This is not good news. But the angel isn't done. He says, not only are you going to bear a son, but he's going to be the one who prepares the way for the Lord to be great in the sight of the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit, turning the whole nation to God. He's going to preach like Elijah. And needless to say, Zechariah is in awe. If you continue reading the story, he becomes so much in awe that he can't speak. And in the midst of this, in the midst of his awe, He can't help but express his disbelief. How much does that come close to home? In the midst of being in awe of the Christmas season, in the midst of the ups and downs, in the midst of everything that we say, we say, man, God can show up, he can do whatever we want, but how often are we surprised by God? How many prayers do we pray that we don't actually believe an answer will come? Sometimes we pray for things we don't actually believe that they will happen. I think Zechariah illustrates a point for us that God's blessings are often limited by our lack of faith, by our lack of belief, by our inability to put weight in the promises that he's told us. If you wonder where faith or answer prayer are at in your life, the simple answer is when's the last time you were in awe, when you were struck with the revelation, the personhood of God. Because God answers a prayer, it took 60 years, but nonetheless they're still caught off guard by his answer. And here we go, in a few weeks Elizabeth is pregnant, God answered his prayers to what would happen to her. This is pretty awesome. Finally, after a life fulfilled, a life lived in righteousness, they're reaping all that God has promised and told them. This has got to be one of the greatest single moments of their lives. So let's fast forward six months. Seventy miles away in the town of Nazareth, there's a 15-year-old teenage girl who's not married. And all of a sudden, guess what? An angel of the Lord appears to her. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary. There you have it again. The angel told her, For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Does that sound familiar? Not just in the context of Christmas, but does that sound like a passage that we just read? This is Luke's gospel, right? He's telling the story of Jesus, and in the first chapter, he puts these two stories parallel to each other. 
He puts them right next to each other and he says, hey, I want you to see the similarities. I want you to see the differences as well. We're told two parallel stories that have similar outcomes. And Luke says, hey, notice what's the same here. And also notice what's different, right? One is a priest's family. One is essentially the armpit, right? Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You remember that saying, that colloquialism that was passed around? One is born in Jerusalem. One is born, or one is from the boondocks, right? One is Elizabeth. She's in her 60s. Her righteousness is well established. The other is a teenager who's barely had any chance to prove anything. One is the birth of John the Baptist, the greatest prophet that ever lived, and one is the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. And at the end of chapter 1, Luke brings them together face to face for an interview, for a conversation. What happens when your awesome collides with somebody else's awesome? What happens when the greatest joy of your life is overshadowed, is overcome, is eclipsed by somebody Else's, Because while their stories are similar, they are also very, very different. And again, this is just like Christmas morning, right? You run down, you look under the tree, and what are you looking for? Me. Mine. Right? The biggest one. The ones with my name on it. Don't care about sister. Don't care about brother. Where are the things that have me? Do you see that what could be happening here within Elizabeth's heart? Right? Elizabeth gets the present first. And it is this amazing, awesome gift. And yet Mary comes and shares her story. And you can't help but compare the differences. Right? Put yourself in Elizabeth's shoes. I've been praying for this for 60 years, Lord. Our family's been seeking after this. We're priests. We've served you our entire life. Mary hasn't been praying at all. God just gives her the heart's desire of something that you've been searching for your entire life. Elizabeth and Zechariah, their righteousness is well established. Mary is a 15-year-old teenager. Elizabeth is married in a godly relationship. Mary is unmarried. Scandal is surrounding the entire story, right? Happy as Elizabeth is, she can't help but notice that while her gift is amazing, Mary's is awesome. What do you do when it's not your awesome? What do you do when somebody else gets more? They have more than you do. They didn't work as hard for it, but their business is growing faster and yours seems to just be inching along, right? Their kids are getting into accelerated programs. They're getting traction. They're understanding all the concepts and you just feel like yours are falling further and further behind. They get the grade. They get the promotion while you keep worrying about what they're getting and what you don't have. They keep having what you don't. Elizabeth had every reason to be chosen, She was well-respected, and yet God chooses the Messiah to come to a 15-year-old girl living in poverty. This isn't in the text, but can't you sense that internal turmoil? Can't you sense the angst that could be rising up? Shouldn't these presents be switched? Unless it was never about that in the first place. Right? Maybe it's not about what you receive. Maybe it's not about the gifts that you've been given. But maybe it's about who you are. Maybe in the simple act of trusting that God is who he is, that we would trust and respect the fact that he gives gifts to those who need them and that we've been given everything that we have, everything that we need to achieve what God has called and accomplished for us. See, the key is knowing who you are. And if you hear nothing else today, let me just make this point crystal clear. Envious people never use the gifts that God gave them. 
because they're too busy keeping score on what everybody else has. They're too busy going, oh, if I could sing like that, if I had those giftings, if I could speak like that or talk like that or do those things, then, then maybe I could do something good for God, but they never use what God has given them. God's given them a present under the tree. It's addressed to them, but because it's not what their neighbor has, they don't even open the gift. They just count their times where that's not fair. So today, let's do a little bit of a thought exercise. I want you to think about that person that just drives you crazy. I know we can't say envious or jealous in church because we're not those type of people, but maybe you'll go with me there for just a little bit. Don't point at them, by the way, if they're in the room. But I want you to think through that process. Who's that person that has what you want? Who's that person who's always one step ahead? They catch the break before you do. They, cre- they get all of the credit for the work that you do. The person who has that life, perhaps, that you envision. I want you to just hold this intention. Those people that perhaps we're envious of, perhaps we're jealous of. Those gifts that we wish that we had. And I want you to keep them in your head as we answer this question. What do you do when it's not your awesome? Because Elizabeth gives us a crystal clear response to what we do when somebody else gets more. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Listen to this. Why am I so honored that you, that the mother of my Lord, should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy and you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. What do you do when it's not your awesome? Listen to her question. Why am I so honored that you would come to me in this view of this amazing blessing? Elizabeth owns the fact that it's not a comparison story, that there's not dualistic comparisons going on here, but that God blessed Mary and that it was her job to come alongside and to encourage and to call others out into that same view of living how God has lived. See, too often we miss the awe of what God is doing in us because we're too focused on what he's doing in others. Elizabeth paints a picture for us of both holding with intention this idea within ourselves that God blesses and he's encouraged us and he's given us all the amazing and awesome and good things that we need to do what God has called us to do while simultaneously recognizing that God is at work in other people. And when God works in us, it's to our joy and to our benefit. And when he works through somebody else, it is even more the case. Because God is at work, right? Paul says the same thing, whether by this motive or that motive. All that matters is that Christ is preached. And for that reason, I rejoice. So I've got two takeaway thoughts for you today as we close. And then we're going to have an opportunity to perhaps hold those people in tension. So the first thing that I would say, what do you do when somebody else uh, gets your awesome or has more than you? Number one, accept the gifts that God has given you. Accept the gifts that God has given you. He's given all of us gifts. He's given all of us exactly what we need to accomplish our purpose. Have you taken the time to sit down and to unwrap the gift that God gave you? Do you rejoice in the gifts that you have? 
or at the end of the year, right, which is always this great opportunity to pause for a moment of reflection, to take a a self-inventory. The week after Christmas, we're going to be vision casting and future casting some goals for the new and upcoming year. And so my challenge to you as you have some family time, as you have some downtime, as you find yourself with some time off during the holidays, is to take an inventory. Take an inventory of the gifts that God has given you. Not what he's given to other people, not what's under the tree. Take an inventory of your family, of your friendships, of your job, of your kids, of the wonderful blessings that God has given you. And accept those gifts as God's will and his plan for your life and express your thankfulness and gratitude to him. When somebody else gets more awesome than you, it doesn't actually matter because you've got an awesome of your own. So long as we take the time to inventory and to thank God and to keep those things front and center and to recognize that our competition is with nobody else outside of ourselves, it's simply within ourselves to keep God the main and most important things in our life. So when somebody else has more than you, when somebody else has your awesome, then simply accept the gifts and recognize the gifts that God has given you. Two, and finally this morning, when somebody else gets your awesome, what do you do? You bless them. Bless the gifts in others. This is the example that Elizabeth gives us. She doesn't hold it within herself. She recognizes the blessing that Mary has received and she praises God for it. So as we close today, the band's going to come up, and I just want to end us with a little bit of a moment of silence here, a little bit of an opportunity. Remember that person that I challenged you to think of, right? The person who drives you crazy, the person who has more, has what you want, has the gifts, the car, the job, the promotion, whatever you want to put in there, the family, whatever it is. I want you to practice what we're preaching today. So here's my challenge. We're going to just take a moment in silent reflection. Maybe something stood out to you from the message and you just need to do business with God about some of those things. Maybe he brought a story to your mind and you need to ask forgiveness. But if none of those things happen, then I want you to think about the person either who grates on your skin, the person who challenges you the most, or simply the person that you feel like God is asking you to just bless. And I want you to bow our heads silently together. And as we just kind of play through the introduction to this song, I just want you to pray a prayer of blessing over them that God would increase them, that God would take their work and multiply it, that he would give them the raise and the promotion, that he would bless their family, that he would continue to come alongside them and give them everything that they need to accomplish what he has for them, that you would take that time and opportunity to simply go, it doesn't matter what I have, and when jealousy, when envy, when it's not my awesome, I can bless the gifts of others. That's our challenge for us this morning. So we're just going to play quietly through this. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and then Pastor Greg will close us as we worship with one more song. What do you do when it's not your awesome? Accept the gifts and bless the gifts of others.
Father, as we uh, reflect and our hearts and our minds are challenged by this message, uh, I pray that we, you would continue to, to bring to our mind the, the, the amazing gifts that you've given to us. And so when we are more prone to envy or, or jealousy, Father, I pray that you would change that to contentment and gratitude for the gifts that you have given us. And even now, as we do spend some time reflecting, uh, perhaps on those who maybe have it better, or uh, we think that the grass is greener on the other side, uh, Father, and we can turn inward and say, well, that's not what you've given me, and we can be upset sometimes about those things. Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to, to look at others and, and bless what they have, and bless the gifts inside of them, and the way that you've blessed them, and give us great contentment in what you've given to us. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you speak to us, the way that you stir our hearts. And I pray that you would continue to do that throughout the rest of this week. And that you would bring us back here to celebrate you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.